Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Uh, Daniel Flynn is coming up here in just a couple of minutes. He is a senior editor at the American Spectator, wrote a piece that really caught my attention about some of the transitions that some of the Hollywood lefties are making. Uh, Bill Maher and beyond Bill Maher, really. Daniel has some great observations about that coming up here in just a few minutes. Um, Waiwa Chin, who is the president of the Chinese American Citizens Alliance of Greater New York, also at the Manhattan Institute. A little bit later, she will join me. She wrote a piece in the journal about this curriculum bill that got killed in the Virginia Senate and the details of that, this is a history bill, are very interesting, and we'll get to that here. You know, we one of our favorites here at the Mark Reardon Show is Senator John Kennedy from Louisiana. I feel very strongly, so that we got to get him on the air somehow, right? I understand this, I, yes. I, I need to, to work, because it is, it's rather, I will say this, it's rather difficult. Like, House members, if we wanted to pluck a House member and get him on the air out of Louisiana, there's how many? You know, there's yeah. 30 or 40 of them. They'd come on right away. But, you know, you get into that Senate level, it's a little harder, yeah. and he's a media star. But I bring it up because he was there at that hearing today on the COVID origins, which ended up being fascinating. We'll cover it later in the hour. I have an audio cut of the day that will probably focus on this, but Phil Holloway is going to join us tomorrow with his observations. But I'm just going to do a, a little John Kennedy uh, roulette here. I haven't even heard this one, but I have a bunch of sound bites, and they're all good, right? <laughs> well, sunlight is an extraordinarily effective antiseptic. Um, look, I know Dr. Fauci. He's a smart man. He has a silver tongue. Um, he enjoys doing media interviews, but his behavior and lack of candor during the, the epidemic has uh, undermined almost immeasurably the institution of science and public health. And no one knows who to believe anymore. He's being too serious there. I always like him when he uses that silver tongue of his. But he was one of those who got to question Jay Powell today at this hearing. You're raising interest rates to slow the economy, are you not? Yes, to cool the economy off. So in effect, this, I'm not being critical. When you're slowing the economy, you're trying to put people out of work. That's your job, is it not? Not really. We're trying to we're trying to restore price stability. Uh, yeah, but that you do that by putting people out of work because, uh, unfortunately, that's what they're doing right now, and that's how they're trying to cool the economy. And by the way, he, he indicated that th- there's more to come, and they're going to have to crank up the pressure because inflation is not coming down certainly as fast as, as there was a hope, which is just a—that's why we get $9.49— 
sent 12 packs of Diet Coke, Oof. right? One of my other great responses on that that I didn't get to in the last hour from people on the Twitter stream is like, just drink drink water. Water's free. Or um, some people said, like, water with a lemon. It just doesn't taste like a can of poison, Sue. That's what I would say. Uh, Daniel Flynn is with us here this afternoon. He is at the American Spectator. We've had him on before. He wrote a great book called Cult City, Harvey Milk, Jim Jones, and 10 Days That Shook San Francisco. might have been the first time that I hooked up with Daniel. But he writes for the Spectator. And this show has a theme of talking about some of the... um, some of the transitions that people have had, not sexually, but politically and ideologically in Hollywood. We offer Bill Maher and others up as examples, and I think Daniel digs a little deeper here. How are you, Daniel Flynn? Welcome back to the show. Outstanding. We're seeing some people change some minds in unique ways, aren't we? You know, we, we certainly are. And I think with Hollywood, you know, we think about all these far-fetched scripts that come out of there. Um, you know, we, we have a movie coming out called The Resurrection of Charles Manson, where we're supposed to believe that uh, Charles Manson can come back from the dead. There's one called 65, in which people go back in time and they run around with, with dinosaurs. To me, the most preposterous script to come out of Hollywood in the last uh, few years is certainly the, you know, these, these stars that used to be the personification of the Hollywood left airing these heterodox thoughts. I mean, I would never thought that I would see today that Sean Penn, a guy who used to, you know, cavort with Hugo Chavez, yeah. come out and telling Bill Maher that everywhere that's has been tried, it's been a failure. I never thought I'd see that day. And so there's a lot of that going on. And, um, you know, if you go back, if you remember the film Team America World Police, there used to be that, you know, there were all these um, Hollywood stars that were lampooned in that movie as these sort of sanctimonious left wing types. And a number of those uh, stars that were were thought of as like symbols of the Hollywood left back then are now saying some politically incorrect things. They're now saying some right wing things. It's not like they're the second comings of Ronald Reagan. They still have a lot of left wing beliefs. But they're saying some rather shocking things. Yeah, one of the um, one of the actors that you highlighted, and I remember talking about this on the air because this one really shocked me. I and mean, if you go back in the last, um, you go back probably twenty five years, two of the biggest lefties out there and more vocal lefties in Hollywood, Tim Robbins, and I think they're ex wives now, right? Or it's it's an ex wife. You know, they they never married, I don't think. And it's it's funny, uh, Susan Sarandon, who you're talking yeah. about. I about 20 years ago, I was on the MSNBC incarnation of the Phil Donahue show in the studio with with uh, Sarandon and uh, Robbins. And, I, you know, I hate to talk out of school and this kind of thing, but I just found them obnoxious there, like in person. I found them obnoxious and almost, you know, like I said earlier, kind of like the uh, personification of this smug. Uh, sure. left-wing kind of uh, thing that, that we caricature as conservatives. And to see him 20 years later uh, basically saying that a lot of what we've been told about COVID uh, was wrong, um, you know, that's rather shocking. To take that heterodox view, to take that, to, to wander off the reservation, um, you know, and you have to ask yourself, you know, why why is he doing this? And I think the easy way to answer this is, well, you know, there's that old, saying that if you're you know, conservative at 20, you're heartless, and if you're a liberal at 40, you're, you're, you've got no brain. Um, part of that's at work, but I think the other thing is that a lot of these guys, they're no longer so dependent on a paycheck from Hollywood, and so they feel free to have their own thoughts. And I think for a long time, if you, are, if you work in a company town, you have to co- toe the company line. 
I don't think they really feel that pressure anymore. And so they're, they're allowed to think things that they really weren't allowed to think before because they'd lose a paycheck over it. Yeah, and I, I just wonder how, how much further this is going to go because I'd, I'd like to see some people being a little bit more outspoken about a variety of issues. And, you know, now when you have, I don't, I don't know that there's an industry that's more DEI-focused than Hollywood right now where there are certain requirements for films and for TV shows, especially if you're going to enter them in any kind of awards situation where if you don't have, if you don't check the boxes off when it comes to racial or gender or any other composition, you're not getting looked at. You don't qualify. Yeah, with, with the Oscars coming up, they have imposed a rule where you're not going to qualify for an award unless you have a certain number of uh, people of certain races and, and sexual orientations and that kind of thing working on your film. Now, I don't know how they figure out what the percentage is, um, and I'm not sure that that's been imposed for 2023 or if that's something in the future, but um, it's, it's pretty extreme. And, um, you know, to, to have people coming out, you know, Woody Harrelson would be the, probably the best recent example um, on Saturday Night Live, where he makes this hilarious joke about, um, you know, a movie script about the drug companies keeping everyone locked down in their house and won't let them out until they take their drug. And everyone knows he's talking about, um, you know, the pharmaceutical companies He's talking about uh, the COVID vaccine and the lockdowns, and there is this really awkward silence in that Saturday Night Live audience because they're so used to the left wing, not ready for primetime players on the program, and to hear something um, that I'm sure that they dismiss as kind of like uh, Fox News conspiracy theory stuff, they yeah, were they didn't almost to handle it. To- right, yeah. So sort of the same thing happened. Did you hear, and I thought this was great, and I think even somebody may have wrote about this um, today. Did you hear uh, John Stewart on Colbert a couple of weeks ago when he was talking about the lab leak theory? And he, you know, he just went off and Colbert didn't know how to reel him back in because it was so off message compared to what that audience is used to. And he was basically saying, hmm, you know, there's a there's a chocolate breakout near the Hershey factory. I wonder what caused that in making those comparisons to Wuhan. And again, uh, you know, I, I have always kind of like John Stewart, and he's turned way too woke for me, but that even surprised me because he, he did a bit of a turnaround, at least on that issue. Yeah, that was about a year back, I think, that he, he, he did that, and that was no, very there was similar. Something, to, there was, he just did something a couple of weeks ago on Colbert. That was, okay. real, yeah. Well, you're, des- you're describing something I saw about a year ago, um, so I think maybe you saw a repeat, or maybe he did something even newer than, than what I saw, but I, I, I think that um, Colbert himself was even more nervous and, uh, you know, was more weirded out by what um, Stewart did than his audience was. Yeah. I think he was less prepared for it. And these guys are friends, but I wonder to what extent Colbert knew what was coming because he, it seemed really awkward. I have laughed at things that Stephen Colbert has done over the years, but I think for a lot of these guys, I, I've looked at them not so much as comedians, but just people that had, had used comedy as kind of a Trojan horse to push uh, political views. I mean, I, for years, I used to say about um, uh, Bill Maher that that he doesn't really get laughs so much out of uh, saying anything inherently funny, but because he, you know, it's more because of ideological solidarity. And yet to see a guy like Bill Maher uh, transform, and you know, I still don't think he's all that funny, <laughs> but his program, uh, the one on online at least, and, and the one on HBO, I suppose, 
he's saying things that are a little bit more down the middle. And I would have never thought that. I mean, like, when's Janine Garoppolo going to come over to our side? I mean, this is really amazing what's happening. There, there's, and by the way, and I'll, I'll correct my, you were right. So he, the reason that was in the news a couple of weeks ago is John Stewart talked about it on a podcast. So the actual appearance from Colbert was a while back. So thank you, Daniel, because I was unaware of that. The host actually played that audio like it was new. So, but that's why it was relevant again, because he talked about it on the podcast. Here's a name for you that you probably don't know, although maybe, maybe you do. Most people wouldn't. Do you know who Sasha Stone is by any chance? No, I don't think so. So Sasha is um, someone who runs an awards website for Hollywood. It's called Awards Daily. And it's become the, you know, the preeminent awards blog uh, where Hollywood studios pay attention because she makes predictions. She's got a bunch of contributors. And because of that, I've been in some guilds, used to be a a film critic. I'm sort of in semi-retirement, but I was in the, uh, what used to be called the Broadcast Film Critics. It's now called the Critics' Choice Association. She would write a lot about movie stuff. Um, That's what her website did and I would shoot her messages every once in a while trying to give her a little information and I was friends with her on Facebook and she was just she was so far out there left wing that I actually and I don't do this very much but I just zap the friendship on Facebook because I thought she is nuts right so let, let's go to February 15th a few weeks ago she writes a column she's on Substack right now Sasha Stone com where the title of her piece, Daniel, was Did I Just Leave a Cult? And she says, because it feels like I kind of did. And she's talking about the left, and she's talking about the climate nonsense. She's talking about the lockdown nonsense. She's talking about a lot of things that I never, ever thought. Now, this is someone that most people don't know, but I do think, to your points, it's symbolic because if someone that far left has sort of had some questions raised by our behavior in this country recently. I find that very interesting. I think what's really happened is there's been such an accelerated rate of change over the last decade or so, or even over the last seven or eight years with transgenderism, with what happened with, with the lockdowns, with all the pronoun stuff. There are so many different that, you know, giving away free money for the, the uh, student loans, there are so many things that we wouldn't countenance uh, 15, 20 years ago. We wouldn't even, you know, the, the whole idea of the pronoun stuff would have been laughed at even by really far left people yeah. 20 years ago. And so the fact that we've had such a rapid rate of change, I think it's left some people behind who, you know, were very quite comfortable on the left prior. And now they feel like they don't have a, a place there. I mean, to hear Sean Penn tell, uh, Bill Maher, that he identifies as a hot dog that wants his own bathroom. He's mocking all this stuff by saying that. And you wouldn't, you know, 20, 25 years ago, you would think of Sean Penn being on the cutting edge of the left. They've moved so far that they've lost people like Sean Penn or Woody Harrelson. Um, you know, and I, I have to wonder when, when is Michael Moore coming to over to our oh, side? Well, that Susan would be, I, man, I'll tell you what, that's an interesting name to put in the mix. Now they haven't all crossed over. If you go to that piece that I mentioned from Sasha, she, um, she, this is what she writes. I think you'd find this interesting. If you don't think it's a cult just today, and this happened a couple of weeks ago, the Hollywood reporter published a letter from celebrities demanding the already oh so woke, couldn't possibly be more woke New York times change their coverage of the transgender issues. And you had 
had Judd Apatow and Gabrielle Union and others that were criticizing the New York Times for dangerous inaccuracies in coverage of trans people. All they were was a different opinion, one that's pretty valid, but they thought that that was, you know, transphobic or whatever. And all these people signed on to that. Well, she ripped it. A lot of people ripped it. There are still plenty of woke people out there. I don't know what the end game is here, but it is interesting that some of them, at least some of them, are finally waking up and changing their minds. Well, don't you think some of those Hollywood people that ripped the New York Times for being too conservative on transgender issues of all things, they, they probably don't even believe what they're saying. I mean, it's almost as if you would pan back, you'd see the gun to their head or the metaphorical gun to their head where they're, they're mouthing a line because they know they will lose income uh, if they don't toe that line. I wonder about that um, because yeah, I, I don't know, because with some of them, I think they've just been so lost to some of this. They've been brainwashed and indoctrinated to the point where there's, you know, there's no return for them. I don't know. It's an interesting question, though, for sure. I mean, you look at the J.K. Rowling situation, right? That's just a bunch of nonsense. And how many people have actually taken the time, celebrities, um, to speak up for J.K. Rowling. You know, and I think we can say a lot of them agree with J.K. Rowling, right? But they don't want to say anything because they're afraid they'll get canceled. They'll be accused of being transphobic. Well, she's almost too big to cancel. I mean, she's the most successful author of our lifetimes. Right. And so she can say whatever she wants. I think a guy like Dave Chappelle, he's probably the most successful comedian of our lifetime. Um, He's probably too big to cancel. And so what the pattern you see is people who are so big feel empowered to speak out against all the woke stuff, all the social justice stuff. But if you're a little bit further down on the totem pole, it comes with great consequences. It comes with great cost. You think about that guy on the bachelor that merely kind of defended some, you know, 22 year old uh, woman on the show who had been at an antebellum party. They dressed up as someone from like the 1840 self. And he said, you know, we should have some grace. We should have some forgiveness. They fired that guy. So, I mean, he's, he's, he's someone that's, that's obviously replaceable. He's in a job that many people can do his job. The moment he spoke up in a real timid way, in a real tepid way, ABC canned that guy. So you can see what would happen to a Chappelle or a, a J.K. Rowling if they were of his yes, stature. Yes, yes. No, it wouldn't take much. There's, and that's why someone like me, and I've done this my whole life, right? I did music radio before talk radio. I, I've said this many times over the past, I would say, three to four years, that I've never been more afraid. And nobody tells me what to say. My bosses don't tell me what to say, what positions to take. But I've never been more afraid of saying the wrong thing, which wouldn't even be a terrible thing to say, but it gets misinterpreted or they want to slap a label on you. And if, um, you know, if things make the news, you get canceled because the corporations will say, look, this is our bottom line. We can't, we can't worry about that. So you become very replaceable. Even, even in this industry, I think it's happening, unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, that is unfortunate. I'm not in that industry. Uh, I was, you know, briefly sort of dabbled in it. Um, but you can tell any industry where there's a big corporation that kind of owns something, and that's true in radio, certainly, um, you, you do have to watch what you say. And I, I'm not, I don't think people should try to offend people. I don't think they should go out of their way to offend people, to offend trans people or whoever. I don't think people should do that. But if you happen to say something that's offensive, you know, part of that is almost the job description. If you're a morning DJ or if you're a talk radio host, you want to occasionally say something provocative, not maybe not intentionally so, but you'd be a pretty boring host if, um, you know, you, you just sort of your voice made the paint dry. 
you you want to wake people up. And so it's I think it's a very toxic combination that you're talking about that on the one hand, you're, you're tasked with uh, generating interest among listeners. But on the other hand, you better be careful about saying anything too interesting. Yeah, and I don't look at it that You're right, though. But here, here's where this has been um, more costly for me in, in my life uh, because I still have a job, thankfully. But I've lost friends and, and people who were pretty good friends who have then and I and I didn't change. I really I don't think I changed at all. But then I was deemed in the aftermath of George Floyd, a white supremacist and a racist and just well, shoved aside. I, yeah, I, I think the way to go would be to just not have friends in the first place. That's how I've sort of <laughs> lived my life. Too. You, you don't you don't lose them that way. And um, yeah, I think that's where you went wrong. All right. Well, I'm going to work on that, Daniel. Flynn. Great conversation. I appreciate it. If you want to read the piece, it's in The Spectator. We'll have you back. Always a great guest. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, thank you. Bye. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Audio cut of the day coming up here. Sponsored by the Good Feet Store. Before the end of the hour, we should point toward tomorrow as we are getting closer to Fish Fry Friday. Tomorrow on the show, we had a question last week. We couldn't figure this out. So you remember, we were trying to figure out why we wanted to talk to George Rosenthal with <laughs> Ronald. Yes. Mark. And the question was about TikTok. So in other words, if, if the government bans TikTok, can, can they shut it down? Like, what's the technology that's yeah. involved in preventing um, people who want to waste their time with TikTok for doing that. Right. How do you stop right. that? So we'll, and we'll visit with Phil Holloway. This was a big day uh, on Capitol Hill with the COVID origins hearing. Phil will weigh in on that. We have Kill Me tomorrow afternoon. And then as we take you into Friday, these are busy, busy weeks in March because we're right into Fish Fry Fridays again, this time in Eureka at the Most Sacred Heart Catholic Church. We're doing the show live, including the roundtable. Jane will be there, John Gaskin on the panel. And we have um, invited Sean Flowers, who's the mayor of Eureka. And he's really shy. If you follow Sean on Twitter, he doesn't really have many <laughs> opinions so he's going to be a perfect fit for the uh, the roundtable 
Uh, I love this next topic because I, I never thought about this before in these terms. And um, they did something in Virginia that, that didn't work. But I thought that the point being made here is really interesting. Waiwa Chen is with us. She is the uh, charter president of the Chinese American Citizens Alliance of Greater New York, also a, an adjunct fellow at the Manhattan Institute, wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal that I read last week about something that they were trying to do with kids in Virginia related to communism. And I thought this was really interesting, and I wanted her to explain it. Why, Chin, how are you this afternoon? Thank you so much for coming on uh, here on 97.1 FM Talk. Well, thank you very much for inviting me. So this, this is interesting because you have lawmakers in Virginia that thought it might be, and I think this is an interesting idea, the Republican House of Delegates passed a bill that would have required public schools in Virginia to teach about communism, right? Correct, correct. And because that's a very, very important topic. Uh, generally, historically, and perhaps particularly in this time, because a lot of people don't even understand what communism is, what it has done to people uh, around this world. A hundred million people killed is no small number. No, and when I when I read your piece, I, I felt rather well. I feel stupid a lot, but honestly, I felt this would be something that I should have brought up in the past because we talk about all the things that are going on in schools with African-American history and Native American history. Well, why aren't we teaching about the truth? You want to talk about the truth of something. Why wouldn't we want to put the truth about the history of communism into the curriculum, right? Yes, there is something wrong that they're not teaching this. And one of the big reasons is because a lot of the the apologizers for all that they're always saying well they just haven't done it quite right communism but you know when we get it right it'll be absolutely wonderful so they're not even thinking about why it has been so consistently uh, contrary to human dignity individual dignity and how it really shows a lot of uh, divisiveness as well as harm to people but you're you're the someone who's in charge of the chinese american citizens alliance of greater new york and one of the reasons that Democrats in Virginia and others, like you, you quote in the Wall Street Journal piece, a teachers union spokeswoman that says that there's a strong association between communism and Asians. So are they making the case they're rejecting this because they feel that this would lead to more, you know, anti-Asian hate? Is that the reasoning that they're putting behind that? Uh, that's a very, very scurrilous argument. <laughs> yeah. Uh, OK, uh, that doesn't even make any sense. If you think about it, a lot of the Asians who are in America, the Chinese ones anyway, uh, and the Vietnamese ones, came here precisely because they were running away from communism. This is one of the reasons that we came here. Um, This is not the reason that uh, you would say that Asians and communism come hand in hand. And one of the things that I have in my op-ed also is that you can't say that Asian and communism are intertwined that way because the roots of communism are actually European. But let's, you know, not worry about where the oranges are, but think about what does it do and how does it harm? And the harm is global. I want to point something out because you you made a great recommendation here about a teaching moment. And I had a a bit of a teaching moment just a few weeks ago. As you remember, I think you even mentioned it here in in the piece. We had the Chinese spy balloon that was flying across the country. It flew Mm -hmm. right across my listening area here in St. Louis. And um, it was quite the day because it was a Friday afternoon. People were spotting it and there was a lot of confusion. So my daughter uh, was, was dialed into that. She's 
eight years old today, and she saw some of the news coverage, and she was asking me about it, and she gets a little worked up over things that she doesn't know about, so it was it was scaring her just a little bit, and I was trying to explain, you know, what was going on to the best of my ability, and at one point, she said, she goes, yeah, we don't like Chinese people. I'm like, oh, hang on, hang on, slow down, te- teachable moment here, and I, I tried in, in a best parenting way to say, look, there's a difference between what the government of China, this is hard to explain to an eight-year-old, of course, what the government of China or a regime is doing compared to people who are in this country. And you recommended, and you, I'll let you explain, you said, look, if if teaching the history of communism arouses anti-Asian sentiment, well, let's welcome this as a teachable moment, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's the, one of the things about the history of America, that we have people from all over the world who have come here, leaving behind countries like Italy, like Germany, and we fought against them. Yeah. You know, these were... Countries that we were at war against World War One, World War Two, but we do not think that the German Americans or the Japanese also, and and all of them, all the Italians, the German Americans, and uh, Japanese Americans, all uh, did uh, have extra scrutiny, and uh, some of them were detained uh, during World War Two. But that is not something that says that all Japanese Americans, Italian Americans. Uh, and German-Americans are to be regarded in the same way that we would say uh, are the Italians and Germans and uh, Japanese that were fighting us. That's completely different. And that's something that we have to know here, too, in America, and the kids should be taught that this is part of the history. Here is communist China, that is the uh, uh, PRC, the People's Republic, and then there are people who are, in fact, uh, at let's say, some danger from them. So you have Taiwan right across the straits from China. And uh, Taiwan, that's also Chinese. But they are concerned about their own freedoms and liberties as uh, the communist regime is looking at how to engulf them as well. I think the I love this whole concept, by the way, the whole concept of what that bill was going to do. And I want to check here with our lawmakers in Missouri, because honestly, until I read your piece, I never thought about, you know, maybe a more of an insistence about teaching about communism, because I think it would be important. Look, I tell this story occasionally um, sort of in relation to the whole Colin Kaepernick issue in the NFL. And I don't know if you're familiar with what happened with Colin Kaepernick or not, but it really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Uh, The story, the story is about a young fiery Cuban Uber driver that I had in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. And I always like to poke and prod around my uh, Uber drivers a little bit because most of them, not all are from different countries originally. And, you know, I start up a conversation. I had a great ride with somebody here recently who was from Russia and we were talking about Ukraine and Russia. And it was, it was rather interesting in this particular situation. I don't know how we got onto the the topic of patriotism, but we were talking about, you know, being proud to be an American. And and she brings up, I didn't know this at the time, and I think this has changed, that as a common person in this oppressive regime in Cuba, you couldn't even have a steak or a hamburger. If you had a cow, you could milk that cow. But if you weren't in the elites, you couldn't even have a steak or, or a piece of meat. I thought that was just, you know, even me, who's someone I would consider myself moderately educated, didn't know that. Now, people think that we're oppressed in this country, right? You know what true oppression is. The people in Cuba know what true oppression is. Not that we don't have issues here, but people need to know about those things. I agree completely. A lot of people are manufacturing ills to themselves when we are really, as you say, much better off 
than most countries. Look, there is one country in the world where everybody is trying to get into. Okay, we know that's happening at the southern border. Mm-hmm. You okay? And so you don't see that happening around the world consistently, year after year after year. And there's a reason. And it's not just about eating beef, eating meat. It is also about the ability to speak as you and I are speaking right now. In many other places, if you should criticize or say something that's untoward, the powers that are, you will disappear. You will be disappeared. That's the term. You know, you will be disappeared. And so there are people who are disappeared in many countries for saying things. And that is something that is un-American, and we should never let that happen over here. But that is typical. If you knew the history of communism, it is nearly always the case in nearly every single communist country that you could think of. That has been what has happened. And so when you know about the Maoist struggles, you can know about the Stalinist era. If you know about uh, Cambodia, where there were 7 million people in the country and 2 million of were killed. Think about that. Two-sevenths of the population as they controlled every aspect of their lives, their minds, and their beings. You're talking with Joseph Stalin alone, maybe up to, you know, 1 million, 1.2 million people that were just, you know, eliminated from the planet. One thing I, I want to point out in the piece, too, is, you know, I guess the Democrats in Virginia turned this particular piece of legislation down. But you wrote this. You said two days before the committee vote, they rejected Suparna Dutta, Governor, uh, Governor Glenn Youngkin's nominee to the state school board, an Indian-American mother known for opposing anti-Asian discrimination at the Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. And there was one senator, Ghazala Hashmi, who accused Ms. Dutta, who is a proud Indian-American mother, of being white supremacists, essentially, right? Right. right. <laughs> well, that, that's a frequent slur. So whenever you don't toe the line of what this usual, nearly Marxist views are, you will be told that you are white adjacent or white supremacist. And so when you start accusing, you could even accuse blacks of that, okay? There are some who might say that, well, we don't want to subscribe to one line of thinking, but we want to celebrate the individual qualities of people. And they'll say, well, that's not right. You know, that's, that's uh, dead white men stuff. That's not true. That's not true. This is exactly why people come to America. And this is the fringe part. As you were saying, we're, we're doing in, in many material ways, much better than any other nation. And so we have to start creating problems and saying that, well, you know, we, we are so bad, we must um, uh, punish ourselves for imagined uh, crimes. That's exactly what the Stalinists did, that you had to speak about your imagined crimes that somebody imposed on you. Yeah, there's a lot of parallels that are frightening. Uh, Waiwa Chin, thank you so much for the column. I really appreciate it. I love that you came on here in St. Louis to make that point. And we'll talk again. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. All right, Sue, I have an audio cut of the day coming up here, sponsored by the Good Feed Store. It's a rather 
serious tone for Audio Cut of the Day, but I, I wanted to throw this in earlier this afternoon. I want to get your reaction to it. We may revisit this with um, maybe with Jane on Friday because I thought that this was an interesting... Well, I thought it was an interesting soundbite, and now I can't find the name. Well, thing. can right, I here mention again while you're oh, doing yeah, that? Oh, yeah, 44 is a mess, right? 44 is completely shut down in both directions near Arsenal. Please just avoid that area. You cannot believe the jams behind this. And if anyone has, like, a chopper that they could land here at Park Pacific and get me to Fenton in, um, you know, a decent amount of time, please let me know. I'd love to hop on board. Okay, so this is—I don't even know the context of this, but I thought it was interesting. This is Jamie Lee Curtis, who's, you know, she's getting a lot of love for that movie, Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I kind of like that movie. I haven't watched it yet. weird. I still don't know what it was about, but I liked it because it was (laughs) so weird. But she—here, let me give you my setup. My setup is— I'm old and I like going to concerts. And sometimes when you go to concerts, it goes on and you don't get home and it's a late, late night, yeah. right? Um, and then there's families, like if you want to take kids. So, so Jamie Lee Curtis, now we'll explore her, you know, the feasibility of this, if you will, the practicality in a moment. But here's what she said. I am going to just say this now as a taunt and as a suggestion. You too, do a matinee, cold play. Do a matinee. What about a 12 noon concert cold play? What about it? Bruce Springsteen, do a matinee. You're old. Why wouldn't you let me come see you, Bruce Springsteen, in your glory days, pun intended, um, and do it at noon or one o'clock, two o'clock, two o'clock matinee, theater in New York, two o'clock. I will come and hear your five-hour concert, Bruce, at 2 o'clock, and I'm going to be home and in bed by 7.30. That's hilarious. <laughs> I love the way she said that, and he is known for, like, but, you know, it's it's a good point. There's One of my favorite bands is this band, Manchester Orchestra, and I, I there's if, if you would have asked me a couple of years, what's the one band you still have to see? Manchester Orchestra. So I go to the pageant one night a couple of years ago, and... They weren't going on until 10.15. There were like two openers, and they weren't on until 10.15. Oh, that's brutal. Like, I, I just left. I didn't even stay for any of the show because I thought it was just, uh, maybe it wasn't 10.15, but it was late enough where yeah. 9.45, where I'm like, wait, you're starting that's at that crazy. time? Yeah. It, is it something, though, there, there's the feel of nighttime Yes, of music. course. It's and, not and, cool and, to do a rock show. They don't yeah. do, now, it, it, to her point, they do Broadway shows sometimes in matinees. Sure. The Fox does matinees for families, but it's not cool to do a matinee so the rock stars aren't likely to do a matinee. It's just where we are, I think. Now, the audio cut of the day. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow. It's sponsored by the Good Feet Store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. Big hearing on Capitol Hill. Former uh, CDC Director Robert Redfield, who is not very much a fan of the current CDC and some of the things that they've been doing with Congressman Jim Jordan at this hearing today. Dr. Redfield, you were you, were, uh, you, you ran the CDC and you were on the Coronavirus Task Force. Is that right? Correct. That was formed on January 29th. 2020, is that right? Correct. Two days later, Dr. Fauci gets an email from Dr. Anderson which says what? Virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. Is that accurate? That's my understanding. Next day, I know, did he share that email with you, by the way, Dr. Redfield? No. As a member of the task force, as a head of CDC, did he share that email with you? No. Okay, next day, February 1st, Dr. Gary sends Dr. Fauci another email. That email says, I don't know how this happens in nature, but it would be easy to do in a lab. Did you share that email with you, Dr. Redfield? You didn't see either one of those emails, even though you're head of CDC, even though you're on the coronavirus task force that had been formed just two days, three days earlier. 
No. Three days later, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, who told us it came from a lab and emails to Dr. Fauci that Dr. Fauci wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see, three days later, they changed their position 180 degrees. The question is why? All right. Well, we're going to see if we get some answers on that. Again, Phil Holloway will weigh in on tomorrow afternoon. We've got Kill Me coming up tomorrow. And, of course, Fish Fry Friday on Friday afternoon in Eureka. Have a great night. Get more at 971talk.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.